this morning is uh, as we have been looking through this series in Ephesians and being labeled identified this morning, we'll look specifically at the cornerstone of that identification. Okay, and so our message, our title of our message this morning is uh, the cornerstone. And so, of course, that'll be about the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, as I was thinking, I, I think it was Monday of last week, this past week. And uh, and I just started to to reflect on last Sunday and last Sunday, I felt like through the scripture, not because of my preaching, but those three verses last week of 11, 12 and 13 were just so powerful and so strong and so convicting uh, for me as we looked at the sign, the society and the and the uh, and the signature and of how we could really walk in the Lord. And so on Monday, I was just kind of reflecting on that message and, and what we heard and what we received and. You know, what are, what are the things that we're really grasping? Are we really grasping the things that we're hearing and reading from God's Word? I sure hope so. And are we responding to those things? Again, I sure hope so. Uh, I, I hope we start to not only listen to the things that God is telling us, that we would begin to really walk in those truths and those things, start applying the things that we know to do and what we hear that we should do, then I pray that we would start to, again, just start really living in that place. And, and I say that personally because of me. I, I say that because of what I've experienced over the last uh, few weeks and just personally in my own walk in the Lord that I have uh, felt like that I needed to um, uh, listen to my own messages, my own advice, my own thoughts that I believe that the Lord gives to us is, uh, I believe when we study the Bible, when we look at the Bible, we see a God of victory. We don't see a God of, of, uh, of that is just pretending that our circumstances are okay, that life is just always, we're just, we're just going around just saying everything is great, 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 uh, when there's so much, tor uh, uh, not torment, but just, uh, just uh, things that are happening in our life, and we just go around in this bubble and pretend like everything's hunky-dory. But rather, when everything is coming against us and things are just happening in our life, that we could trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We could rely on him. We could rely on his promises that he tells us whenever we're going through those things that we could rely on him. The answers are found in him and that we can have the victory in those things. And we're not uh, it's, it's been explained this way. We're not in this fight trying to gain victory. You understand? We already have the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's being able to live in that victory. So I hope that we are seeing that and applying that to our lives each and every day. And so that's just a little bit of lanyard this morning. That's just a little introduction. Uh, but I want us to turn our attention as we're going to look at this cornerstone more specifically. I want us to look at verse 14 this morning. Everybody awake and just hear this morning. Just say, uh-huh, again. Okay, we can we say that? All right, good. Thank you. And so uh, you doing good, my man? Doing good? Yes. All right. Here we go. All right. Now we're ready to go. So let's look at verse 14. I just want to read 14 through 18 for us real quick. And then I want us to look closer at uh, 19 through 22. Verse 14 says, and it kind of, it really kind of wraps up last week. It says, for he himself, talking about Jesus Christ, is our peace. Uh, who has uh, made both one and has broken down the middle wall separation. We again saw this last week as, as we were talking about Jews and Gentiles were no longer separated uh, as, as two different groups of, of, of one family that was chosen from God and the other, the other group was not. And the Lord God brought through Jesus Christ, broke down that middle wall of separation. And not only separation between two groups of people, 
the ones that were God's chosen people and the ones that were outsiders, the Jews and the Gentiles. But even a deeper wall of separation was that divide that man had between them and God. That wall of separation had been torn down because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he tells us, continuing on verse 15, now because of Jesus, he had having, a, I can be louder than any baby in the room. Let me tell you, okay. But anyway, let's look at verse 15. Having abolished in his flesh, in Jesus' flesh, the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. What does that say to us in verse 15 really quickly? The law of God was there for a reason. The law of commandments he's talking about here that was contained in ordinances. When you read the Old Testament, you will leave sometimes scratching your head. Why in the world did God be this specific about these rules and regulations? And you will come to the conclusion, no person can keep this kind of law. And you're exactly right. The law was there. It's in a perfect situation for you to be right in right standings with holy God. You would have to keep all of those Old Testament laws and the Bible tells us that even if we break one, that we're guilty of them all. Okay, And so we're, we fall miserably short in, uh, between the standard between God has between himself and anyone, really, but uh, particularly to, man, to mankind. And so when we measure ourselves to holy God, we're going to fall miserably short. And that's what he tells us here in verse 15. But in, in himself... He made one new man from the two that's talking about in Jesus Christ that, you know what, we see ourselves in the law. We 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 have we have cut our teeth against it and we see that we fall miserably short and it leaves us in a place without any hope. What are we going to do? Because we are going to fall short when it comes in comparison to God. And God says, yes, you fall short to God. But in me, through my son, Jesus Christ, you have hope. And so that's what he tells us here in verse 15, thus making peace between him and mankind, between the law and between Jesus. Jesus didn't came, come to abolish the law, but rather he came to fulfill the law. As I said last week, it was the law was a picture of Jesus Christ, which was to come. It, it made you anticipate it even more. The picture was just a, like I said, just a picture. It was not the actual person. And so it made you want to, it longed for you to see that person. That's why in the Old Testament, there was a 400 year uh, drought between the book of Malachi and the last Old Testament prophet to what we know and understand is the real Old Testament prophet, which was John the Baptist before he came. There was a 400 year gap between the Old Testament and New Testament and the, the Jews who really believed and longed to see that Messiah because it was not good enough for them to see and understand the Old Testament picture. They were ready and anticipating the Messiah. And, uh, you know, just uh, someone told me even yesterday that when I preach, I, I want to cover Genesis to Revelation all in one sermon. Uh, but and I kind of do a lot of times. Right. You, you, you kind of gotten that point. Right. Uh, but, you know, even even in the New Testament, when that's why it's so important whenever you read in the New Testament, when Jesus's birth is there, uh, there is a man named Simeon that, you know, he was one of these Old Testament priests. And uh, and it was told to him that Simeon would not see death until he had saw the Messiah. 
After the, I mean, you just think about that and grasp that after all of these years of just drought and, and no n- nothing of like, is this Messiah, is the Savior really going to come? And this man gets this word that, you know what, Simeon, you will not see death until you see the Messiah. And when, that, when the Messiah, Jesus, came as a baby to that temple and Simeon was there to receive that child, he knew, you know what, you know, what a, what a way to go in this life to be able to see that and experience that what joy that he had but it was not to it, it was no longer the picture anymore but now it was the person of the Lord Jesus Christ verse 16 says and that he might talking about Jesus reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross thereby putting to death the enmity that had once been there because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 17 and he came and preached peace to you uh, who were afar off and those who were near. He said it didn't matter to the ones who were near, I'm talking about to the, uh, to the Jews or the ones that were far off, the Gentiles. He came to seek sinners, those who need, were in need of a physician, those who understood, you know what, I need a Savior. He was there for them. In verse uh, 18, uh, 17, it tells us that. In verse 18, it says, For through him, through Jesus, we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. I saw an article this week uh, by J.D. Greer. He is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he says many people will finish their prayers by saying, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, and do not know why we even pray like that. And it really tells us there in that verse, verse 18, is because, listen, between us and God the Father, the only way that we can pray to the one that made that Old Testament law that was perfect, and that is, in a way, that Old Testament law which is perfect, there's no way that you and I, Sinful us, we are sinful people, can have that kind of communication with holy God. The only way that we can do that and have access to God himself was through his plan, through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we have a relationship and have claimed the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on our lives and in our lives, then he gives us his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to be able to know how to pray to the Father, and it's through his son, Jesus Christ is what verse 18 even shows us here. For through him, we, we, doesn't matter where the background is, if you're far or near, if you are a Jew or Gentile, if you, whatever, that wall has been broken down. It says that you have access by one spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, to the Father, but it's because of Jesus Christ. Now let's move on. It tells us that we are built upon this cornerstone. He's talking about our life. He's talking about our church. He's talking about the universal church. He's talking about it all right here. We can really apply these things to, uh, to a believer this morning. Of course, we know that Paul is the writer of the book of Ephesians. We know that he's writing to this city very specifically, this city of Ephesus. He is writing to them. These people are called Ephesians because the, uh, the people of Ephesus And he's writing to them. There's Jews in this church. There's Gentiles in this church. And he's grouping them together as one. And he's saying, now you are one in the Lord. And he's saying, you're built upon this. And he's telling them, as I'm building this, as a builder would do, I'm laying that that first brick, that foundation, that cornerstone, which, of course, we know is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gets very specific in these verses. Look at verse 19. And the first one is the family. In the cornerstone, he's showing of how we are part of this family. I can't help, before we read the verse, I can't help but think about even the the place that we're at this morning. 
If you would go out to the front of the building, I've seen it many times when I go to drop off and pick up my daughter from the school, and, and uh, right in front of this building, the, the entire school building, there is a, a cornerstone. There is a plaque that shows about when the, when the building was first erected and, and, and who are the, the people that are there, whether it's the principal, the school board, the, uh, what, what, uh, what parish office it belongs to, all of those things, the year and all those things are written on that, uh, on that cornerstone, on that piece. And, uh, and that's what he's talking about here as far as the, your life being built upon something. And he's talking about, like I said, even the church and the universal church. And so as we look at this, he's going to see we're going to see how we're even brought together in this one body for the family in verse 19. Let's look at it really really quick. It says now after saying all of these things, really not only from verse 14 to 18, but really the whole entire chapter. He says, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He's saying, listen, you have been brought near. And some of you cowboy fans, you can understand, you could even be saints this morning, right? Amen? A little, little bit? No, nothing from the, that group, okay? But look, you are being brought in, not as a secondary person, not as a person on the outside looking in, or a person that, that has to come in and not receive all the blessings and all the benefits. He's saying when you come in, you're coming in with it all. I'm, I'm reminded of, he talks about that he, uh, earlier on in this chapter, that he says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Actually, it was in chapter one. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so in verse 19, it says you have been brought in as this family. He says, now you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And I don't want to get too far into verse 20 in my mind as I'm saying this, but he's talking about, listen, we have, we are joint heirs, not only with Jesus. That's the first thing. We have the blessings of God because we are seen as sons and daughters, just as Jesus Christ is seen, of course, as the son of God. And you are in line with Jesus. You are that kind of heir to the gospel that you can go directly to God and ask him and talk to him about the things that are concerning you in your life. You have direct access to him. You are part of his family. Now, of course, with any family, there's always bumps and bruises and always wrinkles and warts and always fussing and fighting. But there's something there that just kind of brings you together. And that common thing is, of course, God himself, the Holy Spirit that rests inside of us. And it's just a beautiful thing that he says you are there together as this family. I pray that we can understand as an individual, I'm going to keep saying this throughout all these three points, but as an individual that you can see yourself as part of the family of God, that you can see that you have a relationship with Holy God. If you don't this morning, I invite you that God tells us that you could have a relationship with him this morning. If you call out to him, ask the Lord for, uh, to turn from your ways and call out to him for salvation, that he will come into your life and he will be a part of your life. He's just, he, he is already op uh, uh, given the invitation. He's already opened, him, already opened himself up to you. And it's for you to receive that gift from the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 19 to be part of that family. But if you, this morning as an individual, I hope you see, if you're a believer, that you see your relationship with God 
and you would cherish your relationship with God. I hope as a church together, as, as, uh, as not only maybe couples or individuals, uh, but also just as a church, as Cross Point Community Church, that we would be able to function as a family, to grow and love and care for one another. You know, and the thing is with, with my family, I only think about my, my children and how it's important for me to really know their thoughts and ideas and where they're at and what they're thinking. And, you know, even when I say something to them and how they walk away just kind of in a, in a, in a sad place that happened uh, yesterday, yesterday afternoon. And, you know, I've, I've got to go a little deeper in, in that conversation with them. And I think about even my family, my brother and my sister and my parents. And things that are happening with them, you know, it's it's not enough to just be on the shallow surface. How's everything going? Oh, it's all it's good. And pretend like we have that kind of relationship. It has to go deeper. And so for you and I, we have to go deeper in these things. And we'll see this later on in this scripture talking about Jesus. I love how Jesus, when he sits there with the woman at the well, he didn't just allow just the, uh, the casual conversation with a person that he he really doesn't have any business. And she even said that, you know, what are you doing talking with me? What are you doing talking with me? The religious leaders, when they looked at Jesus, they just kept on. They couldn't get it through their head of why was he eating with sinners? You know, and so Jesus took it a step further, not just to be uh, just to be very shallow relationship with people. But he took a step further to get in there and be messy with people. He had a conversation with the woman of the well. Yes, he talked to her about uh, the, the water uh, that she was going for and that she, if, if, if she would drink from the water that he had, she would never thirst again. He was talking about, of course, salvation. So he dealt with her about salvation, but he also knew some things about her that were, that were really, really messy. And they had a conversation about those things. And so it's important for us not to be on the surface end, on a very shallow place, but we would really get in with each other. And even in that mess and even in with all that stuff that really comes with being part of a family, that we would jump in there and do that for one another. I want us to continue on and let's look at verse 20. And it tells us here in verse 20, it says that, this cornerstone, this family relationship has a groundwork foundation in verse 20. It says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And it says, so listen, when we group ourselves in this, I think about uh, Hebrews uh, right after the faith chapter in Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12, it talks about we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, I picked on the cowboy fans a while ago. I'm going to, I'm going to show you that I am a, a cowboy fan, just not over the Saints, okay? But oh, in, the, in, the, in the cowboy stadium, there is a ring of honor, and a few stadiums have this. And there is a ring of honor, and you look up, and you will see Roger Stallback. You will see Tony Dorsett. You will see all of those greats of yesteryear. You will see Troy Aikman and Emmitt Smith and all of those guys, of course, the last time they won a Super Bowl. Anyway, you will see those guys in the ring of honor. And, it, it, you know, as you look up as a player, you would understand what it, what it means and what it represents to you to wear that star. And to know that the greats that were before you and what legacy you carry on as well, to know you want to have your name up there also. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, as you, as you look at verse 20, he's talking about we have a foundation that has been laid upon by people of the Bible. We carry the same faith. You grasp this and understand this, that when we walk around with the name Christian, 
with the Christianity on our life and say that we are people that have the Holy Spirit inside of us, that's the same Holy Spirit. This is the same group. Of, this is the same God as the Apostle Paul talked about. The same person that you call father, the Apostle Paul calls father. And when I see the Apostle Paul, I thought about this for my kids this weekend. You know, there's things that I'm doing, not only teaching my kids the things of Christ, which I'm supposed to, teaching my children as, you know, from today and yesterday and even this past week of, of how important it is for what we're doing at Cross Point Community Church and for our community. I don't want to waste their time. And, and, and I'm sure the Apostle Paul thought, you know what? There's times where here I am sacrificing so much for the gospel. And I would say to the Apostle Paul, and he had to think, that it, 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 is it worth it? It better be worth it. If I'm going to spend my time and my effort, it better be worth it. And so it is worth it in the Lord. But the same, the Apostle Paul spent so much of his time because he knew how worth it it was. Peter had a family, unlike Paul. Paul didn't have a, a wife and, and, and all these different things, but Peter did. Peter had a wife, and we know this because it refers to his mother-in-law. And, uh, and so Peter, to leave his family and do all the things that he has done uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it even goes back further than that. It talks about the Old Testament prophets and what they had gone through. I think about that in the faith chapter in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11 when you read it. It talks about all these great people of faith, all the patriarchs that really, really uh, had faith in God and, and really saw some great and mighty things happen. And then it even gives us a list of people that they, they, they didn't even tell the story. All they can do, he says, for failure of time, here's some people that uh, are worth mentioning. It's like an honorable mention. Let me tell you something. If you study those people... It would be an honor to even be close to even be mentioned with those people of the word. And then he tells you, then he even goes a step further and says, and there's some of them failed to, that, I, that I failed to mention that, that were sown in two, that were killed for the, for the gospel of Christ. And he don't even list those people's name fully. There's some of them that list that had experienced that. But we have that same Lord Jesus Christ, and the same calling that the people in the Old Testament had, and I pray we would get a small glimpse of that this morning to say, you know what, I'm going to carry on what God has because my life is built on the cornerstone of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as the Apostle Paul was, just as Moses was, all of these people of faith, just as Abraham was, I pray that I can have that kind of faith. And, and this week... I was reminded of just what he's talking about here when we say that we're built on the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I just started to, uh, to really be convicted of, of a passage of Scripture that really came to my mind. Uh, there was a, I don't know why this morning, my third example of the NFL this morning, but there was a, there was a football player a few years back that would always kind of say in his response, he would always say, come on, man. He would just say that. I'm sorry, I'm being so unorthodox this morning but and uh he would always say come on man like he you don't believe that you know or you think you can guard me and he would just like come on man and so when i when i read that scripture and we say we want to be like christ i want to call bull and i kind of want to just in my own life and i look at myself and say come on you don't really believe that because when we say that we're built on the lord jesus christ and then we read a scripture like in 1 Corinthians 13, 
First Corinthians 13, I know, I know time's starting to get away from me, but it's important for me to read this. I'm going to read it really quick because I want to get down to verse 4. 1 Corinthians uh, thir- chapter 13 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal, just noise. Uh, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all, all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long. Love, if we're going to be like Christ, love suffers long. I don't suffer long. I bellyache, complain. I don't suffer long. But love is, suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. In other words, Jesus Christ is love. And Jesus Christ is the one that suffers long. He is the one that's kind. He does not envy. He does not parade himself. He is not puffed up. And we're going to put ourselves in that. Garen Garen suffers long. Garen is kind. Garen does not envy. Garen does not parade himself. Garen is not puffed up. I sure hope I could say that. I don't think I come close to that. I think I'm far off from who Jesus Christ is. He says, uh, love does not behave rudely does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesied in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. Now, Matt, this doesn't just talk about playing video games. This is actually scripture. I quoted this to him the other day. But in scripture, in context, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. When I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. That just just does not apply to Xbox and PlayStation, guys, okay? But wives, if you want to use that against your husbands, you more than certainly can, okay? But right there in the context, he's talking about when I was a child and doing my own things. Have you gotten, gotten around a child lately? They are selfish beings. They want what they want because they want it, when they want it, all that stuff, right? Well, guess what? They got it honestly. They got it from you and me, okay? And a lot of times we see ourselves as an overgrown child, as adults, that we're doing our own things, still wanting our own things and on our own ways. And isn't that a, just a good picture right there in verses, especially verses four through eight of how we are not those things. We are still. And that's what uh, verse 11 is talking about in this passage of scripture is that we're still dealing with childish things. And as an adult and as a person who has the Lord Jesus Christ and aiming to be just like Jesus, we should have put away childish things. And I sure hope that's where we find ourselves in verse 12. It says, and now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part and then but then I uh, shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope and love, faith, hope, love. These three and the greatest of these is love. I pray as we turn back to Ephesians chapter two and verse 20, we understand what that foundation is built upon. And it's built upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray and hope that we could even resemble a little bit of being Christ-like, of being Christ followers, of being called Christians, because we resemble Christ. There's a difference between us in the 
and us being a New Testament Christian versus the first church New Testament Christian. They were called Christians because they were called Christians because they acted like Christ followers, little Christians. We call ourselves Christians. I hope even by ourselves calling by us calling ourselves Christians that we actually resemble and look like Christ. Verse 21 and 22 and we'll be done this morning. The last one is being filled. Being filled, I mean, not filled, but excuse me, fitted, being fitted together. It says, in whom the whole body, talking about Jesus building this building and him being what is the foundation is. He is that cornerstone piece in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Now, I don't mean to get Old Testament on you, but you got to understand a little bit of an Old Testament picture. Jesus, I mean, God, excuse me, he called God the Father, called out Abraham, and he called out uh, Moses to lead his people of Abraham's people, the Jewish people. And he even said, Moses, I want your brother Aaron to be my priest. I want him to be the go-between between God's people and God the Father. And he says, I want you to build this tent, this tabernacle, this temple. I want you to build it. First it was the tent, then later on it was the actual structure. And he says, in that, here are the dimensions. And he put it out. I mean, if you ever read it, it's so detailed on the dimensions. And it's so detailed on the furniture and the pieces that are in that place that God was going to dwell. And in the there was a holy, there was an outer court, and there's all these different courts. There's, when you walk in, then there's the holy place that the priest could go into. Then there was a holy of holies place that only the priest, the high priest, excuse me, could only go in once a year. You've heard those stories. In that place where only the high priest could go in this, in this tabernacle, in this, in, this, uh, in this place of worship, in that holy of holies, there was the Ark of the Covenant, and above the Ark of the Covenant... There was this there were these two cherubims. There's two uh, angel wings that were there above the uh, above the Ark of the Covenant. And between those two wings, there was this space. And the Bible tells us that that's where the Holy Spirit was. Man, I'm telling you, that's if we if we got a picture of that, if we had a study this morning on what that really was it would really bring chills to our bodies and our minds right now. I mean, it's, it, it's an unbelievable, powerful place. So powerful that if the high priest went into this place to, on behalf of the people that Israel sins, if he didn't do all those things right, we studied that a few weeks ago, a few months back, I should say, and the scapegoat was let, left out, uh, let out, and the blood of the other uh, was poured out, and that was sprinkled on the altar. And when he would go in, and if he had sin in his life or things wasn't done right as far as to uh, on the, uh, the sins of the people to go in that holy of holies, he would literally drop dead. That's how powerful this place was. And I bring that up here is because he tells us that is where that he dwelt with his people. That's where God was. He was in this place, this temple. And so as they would move to the promised land, it was a long, strenuous process that they would have to tear it down 
and carefully move it. There was a proper way to move it, right, the right people, and they would take it along their journey, and they would set it back up. And so it was a long process. Like you, if, if you understand the journey from Egypt all the way to the promised land and getting it set up there uh, as God did later on, it was quite a journey. And he tells us here that he no longer, Acts chapter 7, verse 48, if you want to write that down, it tells us that he no longer dwells in temples made with man's hands. He says, how can you contain God? You can't. And he says, now I reside in people. My spirit is inside of the people. So we got to understand that it's no longer in this place on top of the Ark of the Covenant that is for the nation of Israel. But now that space that I said, if we would understand how, how great and powerful and how mighty it is, that it would bring us chills and just the awe of that. Guess where that's at? That is inside of believers. It's inside of you and me. And so when we come together, as Brother Jake stood up here this morning and he said to us, let's not forget what kind of situation that we are in this morning, because I take that cherubim wings, Holy Spirit in the middle as a believer. And I bring it here into this space. And you bring him here into this space and we gather together. We, we, we grow together. We work together and we go out together. And when I say go out, even in scattering, is that we take a piece of what we are together. He tells us here, this whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a place of dwelling of God in the spirit. God says, I no longer dwell in that temple in that tabernacle, but now I dwell inside of us. God says he, he loves the praises of his people and that he inhabits his praises of his people. And right here he's telling us that, listen, he wants to be able to have a place of worship. Our place of God's place of worship should be in my own individual life. Our place, his place of worship should be as I gather with other believers, whether it's as uh, another person and I'm talking with them, that God should be able to inhabit the praises of his people and have that kind of fellowship. Me as a believer with another believer, encourage each other in the Lord. We should be able to get outside of that as far as our place of worship. Even this morning, we should be able to take those things to other believers. It's not just about Cross Point Community Church, but about other believers, too, that have the same Holy Spirit that we have. God's not, we don't have a monopoly on God's Spirit in this church, and no, neither does any other church or any other denomination around us. But we understand that God will have His Spirit in the people who have a relationship with Him. And He says, we're being fitted together, in whom you also are being built together as a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And so listen, I don't want to call bull on my life. I sure hope I'm true to who I say that I am. I sure hope that you are true to who you say you are. You know, when we come to Christ, when we come to Christ, what we're doing is 
is we're surrendering our life to him. Our life is not our own. The Bible says that we've been bought with a price. And you have a decision to make when you say that I have come and I trust the Lord Jesus Christ with my life. You are surrendering your life to him. So your life is not your own. And so those things that we talked about in 1 Corinthians 13, that has to become me. I have to live in that space. I have to live in that place of of me loving on people versus me thinking that I'm just automatically going to get something back. And I have come to the conclusion most times you won't get it back. But God is the one that will fill your heart. God is the one that will lead you and guide you. And I pray that we would be in that place this morning. And so as we conclude and we're going to have a time of response and, and, uh, and, and invitation, basically, I want us this morning to just really hone in on the fact and really zero in on the fact this morning what am, what am I allowing God to do in my life? Am I truly surrendered to Him in my daily walk with Him? And, you know, number one, there needs to be salvation. Number one, there needs to be full surrender. But number two, am I continuing, continually surrendering to God in my life? Am I really being a Christ follower? When people look at me, do they see Christ? And, and I said this this week, and I need to conclude. It's so funny that when you look at the life of Christ... Christ wasn't bombarded with the things that we're bombarded with today. All around him, there was so much just turmoil around the Lord Jesus Christ when he was on the earth. When he was on the earth, the, the, the church was corrupt. When he was around, when he was there with his disciples, one of the twelve, his percentages were not great. One of the twelve was corrupt. The Roman Empire was corrupt. And Jesus didn't just have a marching band or or crew behind him to go take on those things. He came with a mission to fulfill the things of the Lord. And he came to love and he came to be that physician to those who are in need. And that's what our business needs to be. May we not be selfish people. May we be selfless like the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. That's my hope and our prayer for us. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you so much, Lord God, for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing uh, in and among us, Lord God. I pray you would continue to do a work in me, Lord God. I pray that that I would be the person that I would need to be, Lord God. And, And as I stand up here just to give instruction from God, Lord God, instruction from you this morning to say what's happening in my life and saying what your word says that needs to happen in our lives as a church, that we would begin to do those things, Lord God. We would be able to start being the church, not rely on one or two people, Lord God, but us all working together to do the work of the ministry. As you, would have us see, uh, as you would have us to do, Lord God. I pray that we would be a people that would be sold out to you, that would live for you, Lord God, to understand the responsibility that we have, that we have come after so many great believers, not only the, not only the apostles, the prophets before them, Lord God, the man of faith himself, Abraham, Lord God, the father of faith. Uh, we see Christians of, of, of yesteryear, Lord God, that have... Uh, preachers of old Lord God that have been so faithful to preach the gospel many people going to the extremes for the gospel Lord God and you losing their life and for us to be in that same place and have the same Holy Spirit Lord God I pray that we would be a people that would be sold out to you this morning Lord God 
Again, we love you and we praise you. Be with this time of response, Lord God, that we would just be open to whatever you have for us to speak to us clearly. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. And as we have this time, if you need someone to pray with, I